Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C., a program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host, Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all around the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert, where every week we try to cut through the noise and take on the issues, especially the public issues that matter to you, people of faith. Today on our program, we have Gregory Todd, a United States Navy Rear Admiral and chaplain who serves as the 28th Chief of Chaplains of the United States Navy and also a good friend. Welcome, Admiral Todd. It's great to be here, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Well, Greg, listen, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you and uh, have you on the program is to talk about religious liberty, the importance of spiritual readiness, even for those uh, who serve, well, especially for those who serve in our fighting forces, but I would say even for those who serve in public office, and then why the chaplaincy is a great example of that vital relationship between church and state. But before we get to that, you know, let's just talk about your military career, your latest charge as chief of chaplains. Why do you want to do this? What motivated such service? And I think it goes all the way back to 86, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's a long time, right? <laughs> no, you know, uh, it, it did go back to seminary back mm-hmm. in 86. I became interested in chaplaincy, particularly Navy chaplaincy. I grew up in Seattle, so uh, always in love with the sea. We always had boats, you know. So for me, being on the water was ideal. And so when we were in seminary, the opportunity for Navy chaplaincy kind of became a thing for me. And so I got involved in the student program. But, you know... You know how it is when you're trying something new, you kind of are tentative to it. So I was a little tentative. I thought I'd give it a try and see how it goes. And I got to tell you, my my first experience with Navy Chaplain School, and I'm very transparent about this, I did not have a good time. Oh. It was uh, so classroom focused. It was talking about policy and bureaucracy and all that kind of thing. And I thought, okay, this is not this is not me. I'm not into that. Right. And I've eventually gotten that point, but at that yeah, point you... in my life, that was not me. And so I thought, well, I'll make back out of this thing. But then the next summer, I did two weeks of training with the Marine Corps. So okay. the Navy Chaplain Corps takes care of the Marine Corps, the Navy, the Coast Guard, and the Merchant Marine Academy as well. So we've got a pretty wide portfolio. Right. But I, I did my first interaction with the Marine Corps. And it was two weeks out in the field. We were out in the woods, you know, eating <laughs> the, the meals ready to eat. And we were sweaty and not getting showers. And it sounds horrible, but I actually loved it. It was it's not really bureaucratic, fun. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was such a great experience for me because it was very transparent. It was just, you got who you got. And these guys were so open about who they were and yet very open to the gospel. And so that became very attractive for me, but I, you know, I needed some experience in the parish. So I did a couple of years at SIU Carbondale, a campus pastor there. 
And then four years at a little parish, not so little parish actually, down in Southern Illinois with the parochial school and, and loved it there with them as well. But it just, the whole opportunity for ministry in the military just kept coming up again and coming up again. And that sense of calling, you know how it is with calling. Yeah, sure. it doesn't, it, you know, the Lord doesn't let up. Right. And I talked to a pastor buddy of mine who had been a Vietnam vet and had served, of course, served in combat in Vietnam. And I asked for counsel. I said, hey, help me with this one. I'm really not sure what to do. And he gave me some great counsel. He said, you know, there aren't a lot of people who have the demeanor to serve as military chaplains. Mm. And you seem to have it. Maybe you should listen to the Lord on this one. And sure enough. So when I submitted my paperwork to come on active duty, I um, uh, got received like within three weeks, I'm getting a call from the Navy. And, And by the way, nothing in the Navy happens in three weeks. So that was kind of like a defining signal there for me. Right. Like, Something is happening. So I came on active duty. I've had some great tours. I was out in Coronado in San Diego, uh, mm. served on the base where we trained SEALs. That was a great introduction to the Navy. And then uh, served on board a ship out of San Diego, the USS Chancellorsville. And it was just really an, an adventure. I got very close to my shipmates. I was served on board that ship for three and a half years. And there were so many opportunities for connecting with sailors. It just really was, it was fun. And the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Well, and, and your service, uh, the chaplaincy is so important to our military. And that's why I wanted to have you on to talk about the guidance that you that you just uh, put out. And you talked about the North Star being um, spiritual right. readiness so that people can serve with courage and honor. But I also think it's a great example of the necessity and a necessary relationship between church and state that really goes to the heart even of our culture. But talk a little bit about that, um, you know, spiritual readiness. Why is that so important? Yeah, that's that's a great question, particularly when we are facing some some very dangerous times and our military members are being called upon. Well, of course, for the last 20 years, they are in war, but the future does not look safe either. And so is it enough to have just the right weapons? Is it enough to have, you know, the ships that we need? Mm-hmm. Is it enough to be smarter and well-educated? And what the military comes back with is, no, that's not enough. Right. It requires something of the spirit, mm-hmm. something of the sense of meaning, purpose, values, character. Those are not mental health issues. Those are not physical training issues. Those are not education issues. Those are spiritual issues. And you know what we're finding, though? So with this generation, we have to almost introduce the idea that they have a soul, that they have a spirit. Amazing. That Mm. that's just part of who they are as a person, mind, body, spirit. In fact, at the Navy boot camp, we teach that triad to them. You have mind, body, soul, and that they need to be attentive to the soul. Now, of course, within that bureaucracy, we can't say, and now you must be a Christian. Right. Um, because we're giving this this training to everyone. And yet we're trying to create an environment where these kind of conversations can have can happen. So that, you know, a Lutheran 
chaplain, a Christian chaplain, a Jewish chaplain even, can have a very transparent conversation about their faith to try to, to mentor, to, to coach these young people into really something that, wow, we've lost over the last 20 years, that, that real sense of what it means to be spiritually ready. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, for me, uh, I think why this is so important, because I know what hits the military, what hits the chaplaincy is probably going to hit the church eventually too, if, yeah. if it gets through you guys and gals. Yeah. But, you know, I was even thinking about what you just said. They, they did a re- research about all the service organizations in Philadelphia, and they found out that like three quarters of them are being done by nonprofits and by churches and people like that. And if you gutted those things, if you tore them out, there's no secular group that's going to come in and replace it because those people were doing it for a lot less money, mostly because they felt like they were called to do it. And so, like you said, if you don't understand the soul's motivation for why you have to defend our country or defend what's what's right, well, why do it? And then you also have to think through the moral limitations. You know, there's some moral limitations to what you guys should and shouldn't be doing. And yeah, that's also part of our spirit. Because being a chaplain, it's it's an established role within the military. It's been around since 1775. We've been doing this. Everybody knows what to expect from the chaplain. And so there's almost an automatic, oh, you're the chaplain. Okay. Okay. And now I can engage with you. But I want to go back to what you talked about, though, in terms of the moral component to that. That is absolutely true that there is an expectation within the military that the chaplain will bring an additional moral compass to the warriors out there. And let's be honest, they're will, wielding a lot of power. When they wield the sword, there's a lot sure. of power there. And it doesn't hurt to have a reminder that they are accountable to someone bigger than themselves. Right. Now, we got to acknowledge this is the public square. Mm-hmm. It is not the local church. I tell my chaplains, I said, listen, we've moved from Mayberry to Mars Hill. We are no longer in Mayberry all singing off the same (laughs) hymnal and same sheet of music here. We are on Mars Hill, like Paul was, having conversations with the philosophers and people have different ideas. If, If that's exciting to you, this is the place to be. Well, what I love about what you're talking about, too, though, is our founding fathers did understand that whoever carries the sword's got to be limited. And that's why the Judeo-Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, has been a necessary structure to this because it puts kind of all this in its proper place. Even if you're not a Christian, this this can be a good thing because church and state have have a relationship to each other, and we see it in the chaplaincy in the military. Now, the, let's, let me see if I say this correctly, though. If, you, if you're a chaplain, you're in the battle, you're in the middle of the field with those who serve. You just don't have a gun. That's right. Well, that's right. Someone's standing next to you with a gun, right? Well, there are. As, you know, when, when I was in Afghanistan, I was there with the Marine Corps, and I would call home to my mom. and I would remind her, mom, I'm in the safest place I can be. I'm surrounded by 2000 Marines. Right. So (laughs) she would worry. She would worry. But you're right. We don't carry weapons. Uh, And that even in in itself becomes a message to the warriors in that we become iconic of putting our trust in something greater than ourselves. 
you know, trust not in princes, trust right. not in horses. Right. You know, we trust in the one who will care for us. And that got a whole lot of conversation started out there too. Right. So that's pretty, it's a pretty great place to be. Well, so we obviously just by being a chaplain in the midst of the battle, you, you demonstrate that trust, but then you also, and I love this next part about what you were talking about in your guidance, you, you, you feel, and you know that those lives that you serve are entrusted to you. And, and that's also a different thing. It's not just a job and it's not just an adventure. It may be all that, but it's a calling. And so talk about why this, you you talk about spiritual mentorship. And I love that because in urban ministry, I used to think the same way, but tell me what, what do you mean by spiritual mentorship in your role as a chaplain with our fighting forces? Yeah, that's, that's really big for me in terms of leadership and really a place where we can grow. You know, a lot of what chaplains do is drawing alongside the warrior and walking with them through the challenges that they're facing. You mentioned it. We were, we're out in the field with them. We're on the ships with them. We're not waiting in the chapels. We're not waiting in the churches for right. them to come back. We're there with them so that we can walk with them and talk with them through some of the challenges that they're facing. And this is sometimes a coaching piece, sometimes a mentoring piece, but it, I like to refer to it as it's, it's like periclesis. You know, we used to talk about, you know, the paraclete. And if you take that Greek apart, that's being called alongside. And so there we are chaplains are called alongside the warrior as they are doing some of the most difficult things that they've ever had to do. And yet uh, with a, with a trust and a sense of the divine, they're able to get through that. You know, my goal is that when we send people off to combat, I mean, these are Americans, America's treasures, right? Or sons and daughters. And they're entrusted to us that we Allow them to do their job and they not lose their soul in the process. I was going to go there next because I ne- while I've never served as a chaplain in the military, I worked a lot with law enforcement, had a lot of police officers in my congregations where I've served. And one of the hardest things we always had to deal with, let's say they had to use force to stop a situation. And when you look in the books, it was the right thing to do, but it was in their minds, it was a lesser of two evils, but they had to do it and they just couldn't come to grips with it. And I finally said, yeah, because it's the whole role that you face is you're the last, I mean, you're the last uh, barrier to chaos. And, right. and so you executed force in a sinful world, but now you, you still got to go to the cross because you feel you need forgiveness even for doing your job. Wow. Exactly. What a position to be in, right? I mean, you just talked about right. losing your soul to do what, to do what you're commissioned and ordered to do. Yeah. And that's really what's been driving me. You know, I came in for the adventure of it, Okay, but really after 9-11, I, it's gotten under my skin in okay. terms of it's, it's not so much about adventure now as a, just a passion to care for the soul's of the warriors because of what they are putting on the line for us. It becomes very, oh gosh, it becomes just very personal because you realize here, this 19 year old, 20 year old kid has joined the military and he is putting himself on or herself on the line for the sake of our neighborhood, my family, 
our nation, it just becomes very personal. And you go, okay, what do I got to do to take care of this warrior so that they can come home to their parents, to their loved ones, and still be whole in the right. process? Wow, that's an important work. And I, I guess maybe that's one of the reasons I'm in Washington uh, with you now. I'm, well, we're nearby. It's right. because I feel like our voice in the public square is so vital, too, because th- there's a soullessness about what's going on a lot in our culture today. And we definitely want to prevent that from inhabiting our military, because the last thing you want is a soulless military executing force around the world. Right. Um, well, the good news, Greg, the military, at least on the Navy, Department of the Navy, which includes the Navy and the Marine Corps, they're asking for more chaplains. Uh, My biggest challenge in the next couple of years, I got to recruit a lot more chaplains. And so this is a great, this is a good news story. It's going to be a lot of work for us, but it tells us that the military recognizes the value of chaplaincy and they want more. So uh, we're looking for we're looking for volunteers. The Navy well, is hiring chaplains. Well, when I speak to a lot of our people, I'm going to make sure that they know that because, again, like you said, um, in the middle, uh, you know, on the edges of things or on the street of things, w- when the gospel is there, when the good news of God at work in the world is there, that does dramatically change everything. And I think you're a great your work is a great example to that. So finally, what what are the big challenges? Well, you just talked about one, the big challenges of your office at the moment, getting more chaplains. Um, more. But what are some of the other challenges, maybe even opportunities that, that you're facing right now? Yeah, I think to help leaders understand this whole idea of the pursuit of virtue, the pursuit of, uh, well, back to the Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness. You know, if we go back to the ancient philosophers, the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of eudaimonia is the happiness that comes from the pursuit of virtue. Right. And so we're really getting that, we're getting after that with the warriors, with the leaders, that this is not a new idea. This pursuit of character, virtue, meaning, purpose, values, this is part of what it means to be an American. And so we need to go back to that as leaders, as military leaders, to encourage that pursuit of virtue within the military. And it's hard. There's a, it's, it is the public square. Let's not make any bones about it. It's a tough environment. You got to keep swinging. Yeah, because again, when you look at our culture, and I've served in urban industry all my life, so you know it's yeah. the same kind of thing. What's the biggest issues in urban? It's really the dis- dismantling of the family, which has caused all kinds of chaos in the culture. And now we're now their children growing up who don't even know what virtue is. They think of happiness as a self-centered, selfish pursuit, and they don't understand that comes unraveled very, very, very quickly. And and that's what we're seeing. So. How do we turn this culture away from that pursuit back to an honorable, self-governing pursuit of virtue and happiness for the sake of others? And I think you're already starting with the people that God sends you uh, in the military. So maybe the chaplaincy, maybe we need to learn from you. Well, you know, it is. it begins with talking with leaders. I got to say, all the leaders uh, across all three sea services— Okay. And the Secretary of the Navy have all been supportive. They've all voiced their their support, and I'm appreciative for it. It just you know we just got to keep swinging. We've got to keep staying in the fight and get more chaplains because 
it's a righteous cause. Take care of these young people that are serving in the military. Now, uh, I don't know if there's any political. I mean, are, is, is the politics, is that something you've got to deal with all the time? I mean, do you, you know, is that do, do, well, do you think yeah. that our culture still under, understands the value of the chaplaincy? Where do we battle that? Is that battled out here? Uh, it, it's battled in conversation. OK. You know, the reality of it is the military is a reflection of what's going on in society. Right. And so it really requires a very robust conversation and a, an ability to engage at a very high level. Right. And so we need, again, we need more, but we need people who aren't afraid of the conversation. Yeah. So you got to be able to take a few knocks in the public square and still keep coming back. Uh, but you know, is I- it worth it? I love I love what you just said, because when I was training urban, because like I said, I've been an urban pastor and I've trained urban pastors and we used to call them. And, and for I don't know, for lack of a better term, but um, we didn't any mean we were never trying to diminish the Navy SEALs, but we called them Navy SEALs for Christ. And what we meant by that was you're the kind of person when we drop you into the middle of the town square in Los Angeles, you will stay there and accomplish the the mission that you were called to to do because no navy seal would ever say well this is what happened so that's why i quit you know that just that just isn't in their mindset right you know do what yeah what our phrase was don't tell me what you can't do tell me what you can do and do it until the lord takes you off the field you know and that's the mindset you're talking about here because that's the spiritual engagement of all these issues and I think we've lost that adventure for that a little bit, even among our clergy. Maybe we got to start encouraging each other a little bit more too, right? Oh, there's no, there's plenty of room for that. <laughs> okay. Well, the other thing too is, uh, you know, our LCRL, we, we support you like crazy. I mean, uh, we work with the chaplaincy, obviously in our church, um, but with you too. But how can our listeners who are listening in right now, how can they be of service to you? Uh, obviously, they'll be praying for you and your work. Are there any other ways that we can get to know more about what you're up to or or can be uh, of service to you yeah i would i would say prayer number one we okay. definitely need the prayers and we feel it so thank you for the prayers our lcms ministry to the armed forces is mm-hmm. doing great work uh connecting with them they become the arm through which they support chaplains but also they support congregations that are close to military installations I got you. and help them know how to engage with military uh, service members and their families. It's, Excellent. it's a lonely business for these young guys who young guys and gals who join the military okay. and they're away from home. They're often very vulnerable. It's great to get them connected to that local church. And sometimes it means giving them a ride to church. Sometimes it means baking them cookies when they need them. Sometimes it just is simply connecting with them. So that kind of thing is really important. And then I would say the Ministry of the Armed Forces also reaches out to our veterans, the ones who are still carrying the scars of war. And those are people too that we need to keep in, in mind. You know, with 20 years of war with OIF, OEF, and there's a lot of folks that are still trying to make sense of their experience, trying to find meaning in it. And so the connection with veterans is also super important. And so we have some ministries in that regard as well. But ministries of the armed forces, they do tremendous work, really uh, just a great group of folks that are just so super supportive. And we're just so thankful for them as chaplains. 
Well, we'll direct them to those resources. And I w- served in Tampa when I was a pastor and we were there with CENTCOM and, and we actually served many folks who were embedded into, uh, you know, to places for months and months and months in service. And, and I remember those same things. You're exactly right. The families needed yes. our care and concern. And then especially when people returned. So, well, Greg, again, thank you for this time to tell us a little bit about what you're doing and why it's so important. And thank you for modeling for us how to engage uh, these church state issues because the chaplaincy is on the front lines of that as well. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you, Greg. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRLDC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Contained there are resources to empower your public square dynamic discipleship. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Seltz. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. 